Building Buildwit is a short podcast series telling the story of how Dirt Talk host Aaron Witt went from a lover of the trash truck as a kid to starting the business that became Buildwit. In the last episode, we heard from Aaron Witt, CEO and host of Dirt Talk, as he laid out working for Kiwit, taking an office job with construction software company HCSS, and eventually quitting and moving back to Arizona. In the final episode of this season, we'll hear how and why Aaron started hiring people, how he almost got arrested in Saudi Arabia, and how he learned a difficult lesson about credit cards. I'm Alex Horton, and this is Building Buildwit. Aaron heads back to Arizona. He just quit his job at HCSS after only four months, but was still doing some freelance work for the I Build America campaign. More info in episode three. Here's Dan Briscoe, who's now president of BuildWit and Aaron's former boss at HCSS, about the aftermath of Aaron quitting his full-time job. We actually put him out on contract and and said, hey, go shoot photos for us and I Build America and we'll pay you a little bit for it. It wasn't enough to really survive, but it was a little bit. We were one of his first paying customers and then you know, the next week, I think he's at Turner Mining and off and running with BuildWet. That's Turner Mining Group, led by Keaton Turner. So the year prior, Keaton had started Turner Mining Group. And I remember I followed Keaton when he was still with his uncle's company, working at his uncle's mining company when I was in college, uh, before BuildWit. So I'd followed Keaton before BuildWit, and I was glued to his posts. I remember sitting at the gym, for example, my senior year reading through these posts there it was this pit in cupertino they had a 6015 they had big just just all these haul trucks it was just this this massive badass job this crazy looking mining operation and he would post all of this information about how they bid the job how equipment economics work it was information i'd never seen before it was someone just peeling back the curtain of mining and giving you all the information. It was crazy. It was insane. And he, and he got in trouble for it. People weren't showing Dirt World stuff five years ago. That's Keaton. You couldn't even get a camera onto a site without getting slapped for it. And me also, with, with where I worked and who I worked for, they didn't want information out. They didn't want bidding information out. Not that it is even sensitive information, but that's the way they grew up, right? Yeah. That you, you protect what little piece of pie is yours. And, you know, I think you've seen a lot of companies put it all out there, be super vulnerable, and they've reached a lot more people with that strategy than to try to keep everything close to the chest. Mm-hmm. So he starts a mining company uh, in 2017. They had done one job in New Braunfels outside of San Antonio. And then they'd picked up another job in Sweetwater, Texas, which was about a five-hour drive from where I was in Houston. So when I was at HSS, Keaton was visiting the New Braunfels job. And I went out there and I met him. I'd messaged him on social media, said, hey, when you're down here, we'd love to have dinner. So we go out to dinner while I'm still working HSS. Just to talk, just to meet him. And then that Sweetwater job fires up and they're working Saturdays. 
So Saturday morning at 2 a.m., I would wake up or 1 a.m. and drive out to the job, photograph the job. And that was my really my first time being on a site, being able to photograph it however I wanted to photograph it. And then would drive back in the afternoon, the five hours back, whatever it was. So I did that for a few weeks. So I quit. I call Keaton. I say, hey, I just quit my job. I'm going to try to do this full time. He wanted me to come to, to come to work for Turner. But I, I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to do this on my own. But can we figure out an agreement here where, where you pay me for photos and social media? Because I, I know I can take photos of your operations. And I know I can do social media. You've, you've seen both of both of those things to be true. And I, I think you should pay me for it because we can go cre- create some pretty cool stuff together. And with that, Aaron had his first formal long-term agreement to shoot photos of job sites, but it wouldn't be the only one. I picked up a project with Bellwether. Uh, Matt Moldenhauer uh, paid me a few grand to photograph his logging operations in South Carolina, which was awesome. I picked up work with LB3 Enterprises. Um, in Southern California, for whatever reason, I visited their job because I just wanted to see a Hitachi 1200. And uh, I think they were running a Cat 5130 too. They're running Peds 5130. And I thought that was insane. I'd never seen machines that big before. So I drove out, same thing. You know, I wake up at one in the morning. I drive out to San Diego. I photograph for Corona, photograph the operation. And then I drive home because I, I didn't want to, <laughs> I had this little Toyota Camry. I didn't want to stay anywhere. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to spend any money. I go photograph the operation. I send Tim Kramer the photos at LB3. He likes him. He says, hey, meet me at this landfill uh, a few weeks later. So I drive back out to San Diego to the landfill project they were at and meet with him. And then he asks, well, how much to do this consistently for us? I, I like what you're doing. I like social media. Can you do it for us? Um, you know, made up a number. It he said yes, and then the final one I remember in the really early days was Granite Rock. I'd got to know Granite Rock through the Daily Construction page, and they flew me out to Monterey in like a month or two after I'd started. <clears throat> I thought I was the biggest, the biggest deal. I was I was going to Monterey for work, and I was walking on the beach on like. A Tuesday night, I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm doing it. I'm I'm building a business. And they had me to their quarry and and talked to them about doing work for them and social media work for them too. And that was the business. Aaron takes photos and creates social media content. But instead of for his own account, he'd get paid to do it for others. But to make it work, he had to be pretty open-minded. I will go anywhere. I will talk to anybody. <laughs> I'll make whatever the hell I need to make work, work. Those early days were exciting but didn't necessarily grow the business as much as they sustained the business for another few weeks. But that all changed when Turner Mining Group started to grow. So I was helping them with their social media. I was taking almost, I think, all of their photos at this point. Everything Keaton was posting, everything Turner Mining Group was posting, I I had some kind of fingerprint on. And... I mean, Keaton figured it out. He figured out how to use social media to go recruit the next generation. He figured out how to go get young people excited about this industry that apparently young people don't want to be excited about. He figured out how to go establish a nationally recognized brand in the mining industry in a year or two. <laughs> like what, what he did was crazy. And I had a front row seat to it all because I, I, was, I was helping them look really pretty. 
And I was able to have a lot of intimate access to mining operations and heavy equipment and people in the industry that I wouldn't have had otherwise. There wasn't oversight. He and, and the company would let me go to any of their sites at any time, photograph them whenever I wanted, however I wanted, and post about them however I wanted. It was, it was totally unrestricted access to mining operations, which I couldn't have asked for anything better at that point. The whole industry is like, what the hell are these guys doing? How are they doing it? Everybody's watching. And as a result, people start more and more reaching out to have me help them do what Turner Mining Group is doing, essentially. So I was writing Turner Mining Group's coattails for sure. And we started to pick up more and more work with, with at this point, monster companies like Caterpillar dealers were reaching out. And massive mining and materials companies were reaching out and big construction companies were reaching out. And I was just looking around all that like, holy shit, I think I've, I think I've cracked the code. This is crazy. If we just go tell stories and post photos and videos about the industry, we're going to solve the damn problem. And as I say, the rest is history. Actually, not at all. I kind of towards the end of that year, start to get my ass just fucking kicked hard. I mean, just kicked in the nuts every which way. Uh, these, uh, uh, the cat dealers let me go. These big materials companies, contractors let me go. Everything just started to deteriorate somewhat. Um, um, I'd worked with uh, you know, Turner Mining Group for a while, and then they decided to go in a different direction. Um, it, it, everything kind of evaporated just as it started to get going, and that was a it was a sobering time because it was like, okay, so I'm not nearly as smart as I think I am. The industry is not nearly as progressive as I thought it was. They're not ready for this yet. And I'm clearly limited in what I can do as an individual. I'm not very good at a lot of this. I need help. So Aaron reached out to the last boss that he'd had, Mr. Dan Briscoe. And turns out Dan had some time on his hands. So when he said, I'm quitting, I said, funny enough, I'm about to quit myself. I uh, told him I'm about to put in my two weeks notice in the next few days. I had I wanted to kind of go off and do my own thing. I, I, I kind of reached the ceiling of what I thought I could do at HCSS. Loved the industry, but had been looking around for my next role. I had been there six years. And so I went to do, go do my next role with a startup in San Francisco. Uh, it didn't work out. I stayed there about four months, learned a lot. It was in a different industry. And the whole time I missed the heavy civil, the dirt world side. I uh, also, you know, for other reasons, it didn't, it didn't work out. I, I was, didn't like traveling to San Francisco, things like that. So, um, uh, pretty quickly I was without a job. When I think it was Dylan Stevens at Rosso asked me for a website, I think in June of my first year in business. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do a website. No problem. I didn't know how to make a website happen. So I called Dan and he, you know, called me up, said, Hey, I know you're, I know you're kind of looking for your next role. What if you help me for a little bit? Somebody just asked me to do a website. Could you help me do a website? I'm not a coder and don't know how to do that, but I knew how to find those people. He was the only person I knew in marketing. <laughs> I didn't know anybody else. I hadn't, I had no other connections in the, in the marketing industry. I'd never, 
I never worked at a marketing company. I didn't even know what the hell a marketing company did. So he was helping me through that first year, but just on the side. Chase started help a little bit with the design. That's Chase Harris, who's now the director of creative services here at BuildWit. Turner Mining Group needed a brochure, whatever it was. So great. I need design help now. Turner Mining Group wanted a video. So I had somebody, Zach, help me out with the video and do some video work. But it got to a point where I needed help in a full-time capacity. I knew I needed a videographer. Okay, I'm Angel Torres, and I am the senior videographer here at BuildWit. I was filming skateboarding, like for uh, almost my whole life, um, filming skateboarding. So that's the whole reason I even started filming, doing video. Then I saw that there was money in weddings. I got that's a whole different type of filming, you know, like it's more cinematic and construction, filming construction that came a little bit later. I have a friend, uh, Cameron, who owns uh, EVI. Um, they do Tesla charging stations and stuff like that. And um, he asked me to make a make a safety video for him. And um, I did that. I made him a safety video, and and that was my resume video for BuildWit. The, the intent to hire Angel was for him to follow me around the camera and and really just focus on the vlog. And then that happened. I don't know. Maybe made it three months, and then we started doing videos for fucking companies. And then Angel goes off and focuses on that. No. And then you realize, oh, when someone else pays us for video, that means I can pay this video guy more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I brought Angel on as a, a full-time videographer. And then Chell traveled with me out to California for a week to get to know the company and, and figure out what the hell it would be like. And he, for whatever reason, came to work here too. That's Chell, as in Chell Gerber, aka Blue Collar Photographer. He's been running around with a camera and producing media projects at BuildWit for years. He left the family company and had to, you know, had a family, <laughs> like two young kids at the time. <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, left a very good job to come here with no promises or nothing really to, to show for it all. Chell actually grew up in his family's company in Utah. But even with that exposure, he didn't think he'd go into construction in the first place. Here's Chell. Uh, I, I had no intentions of working in construction nice. uh, at all. I didn't want to be my dad. I love my dad, but wasn't wasn't what I wanted to do. But then, you know, it was I graduated high school and I was like, well, okay, I'm going to go to work. <laughs> I didn't choose to do anything else. So I kind of fell into it. And but like it was it was okay to get into it rather than pursue something else because I was making more money than any of my friends. Over the years, Chell went from a field role to an office role. And as he was learning to understand what it took to run a family company, he started to see an obvious problem. We need more people. Oh, this job needs more people. Oh, this job needs more people. Mm -hmm. This job needs more people. Oh, we need more lead guys. Oh, we need more, more foremen. All this stuff, like not just laborers. I, it like blew my eyes wide open. Like, holy shit, there's a lot going on here. And we don't have enough people and all this stuff. So that was, that was when I first got into the office. That was kind of my perspective. And then fast forward back to, you know, like two years later when I got the drone and started making videos and stuff. So eventually Aaron found some of the content that Chell was sharing on Instagram. Aaron invited him out to help shoot a job site and then offered him a job. 
It was, yeah, go home, sleep on it, talk to your wife, yeah. let, let me know. The whole entire week, I was like vacillating back and forth, like 51, 49% of like, do I do the build with thing to kind of put somebody like in my shoes? Like I'm, I was giving up, you know, potential ownership in the company. I'd, and you'd been there over a decade at that point. Yeah. And grown up and around the business and family business, whole life. potential ownership, the, you know, fa- like the, the pride in the name of the company. Mm-hmm feeling really good that I worked there. That was a big thing. You know, I woke up the next morning and it was like, okay, I'm ready. What am I putting in my two weeks? It was just total, total gut feel like, yep, let's do it. I'm ready. Alongside Dan helping in the background and Chase helping in the background from a design standpoint while he was going to school, we started to build an agency that did marketing work for the heavy civil construction industry. So the first year was me somewhat dicking around, trying to figure out how to make money, trying to figure out this industry, working with any company I could. The second year was more so, let's build a small team. Let's be a little bit more intelligent about what we do. Let's go work with who we think are the most forward-thinking contractors. Let's be diligent about who we take on work with in the beginning. And let's go start to build something real. So Aaron and crew keep finding clients and slowly start moving towards creating an identity beyond Aaron's photos. And that growth started to turn some heads. I get an email from this company in the Middle East saying, hey, we've been trying to reach you on social media for a month and we just can't get a hold of you. They say, hey, we've been trying to reach you. And I say, huh, so maybe this is legit. I schedule a phone call with them. It's, you know, f- 6 a.m. my time. And I, I remember I'm in my truck in a parking lot in Phoenix, 6 a.m. And it's the evening for them. And they say, hey, we've seen your work on social media. And the, the, uh, like one of the owners, like the boss of this cat dealer, Zahid Cat, saw my work. And he says, I want, I want that. I want that. And so they've said, hey, they've, they've seen your work. He wants you to come out here. So what would it cost? I sit around. I'm just like, okay, so this seems legit, I guess. And should I, I guess I'll quote them something. And what the hell do I quote them? I'm still in the part of business where it's like, you're just making it up at this point. So I give them a number that I thought was just fucking insane at the time. Like just huge. It was like five figures. And I like quoting five figures to go shoot pictures was wild. Absolutely wild. It goes back and forth for a little bit and they say, yeah. So, so I'm like, holy shit, I think I'm going to the Middle East. And I go through this tiresome visa process because you need a business visa to even get into the country. And they get permission for me to bring cameras in and it's, it's, it's easier to get in now, but it was still loosening up at the time. Like before tourism wasn't even allowed. You couldn't just go to the country. You had to have a legitimate business reason. So I fly in. <clears throat> I remember just, it was a long ass flight. You travel for at least 25 hours to get over there. I remember flying in and it is just like straight desert when you're flying in. Then you just think, I am not I am not in America anymore. I am somewhere that is so different to anything else I have ever seen. I fly in and 
I had told them that I would do anything. I'd go anywhere. And they took that very literally. And the, the country of Saudi Arabia is very large. And every day I was in a different place, different city, shooting a different operation. So the first day it was driving all over the place to shoot some branches and some construction projects. Then I get in the car and there's a language barrier there. So you're with somebody that it can at least guide you around the country, but you can't really conversate with. And you're in the car for like six hours, just driving in the middle of nowhere, nowhere at all. You can't ask them how much further you have. You can't ask them where you're going, what you're seeing. <laughs> you, just, you just have to sit there and look out the window and see the same thing for eternity until you arrive where you want to arrive. And then we get to this small town and there's no official hotels there. So we stay in some, I go from this very nice hotel in Jeddah, it's big city, to this just totally, the total opposite. Like there's no shower, there's no towels, there's no toilet paper. It is just a bed. That's it. And I stay there for the night. We drive, we wake up in the morning and we drive way out into the middle of the desert. And then I remember he gets on the phone and he's speaking Arabic and you can tell like he's a little frustrated, but you have no idea what the hell's going on. We then turn around, drive all the way back to the town we were just in. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, fuck. And so he finds a police officer. They have a, 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 you know, a, an exchange. We turn the car around, drive back exactly where we, <laughs> to where we just were, and then go a little bit further, turn off, and drive all the way through the desert. And you see these big sand dunes, and there's camels walking around out in the desert. You're like, shit, we're out here. And we go in. All of a sudden, there's this massive mining operation that just appears out of nowhere. Barbed wire fences, razor wire, big security booths. You drive in. The, he asks for my passport. I give him my passport. And then they take the passport. And I remember thinking, should I have just, should I have done that? Because that is a stupid thing to do. Why did I, like, why do they have my passport right now? And we drive into the mine. We meet this guy who is from Britain. So he's a, he's, he's, it's this mining company that's a contract mining operation. So it's all contracted out. But the Saudi government, like most other governments in the United States, owns the minerals. So they own the gold, but they're contracted to mine it and, and produce it for them. So it's this massive gold mine that it started just a few years ago that's run by international people. So that's why this guy was British. We get there. And we say, hey, we're, we're here to take pictures. We want to see the operation. And he's just like, today's not a good day. And I just, I remember sitting there like, oh, like, what the fuck? I just flew halfway around the world. We just drove, I don't even know how far, I don't know how long, out into the middle of nowhere. And this guy, because he has some work to do or some paperwork, whatever it is, doesn't want to deal with us. Well, I don't blame him. He probably has a, plenty of other more important shit to go, go on. Well, we finally talk him into showing us around the mine. <laughs> so he finally lets us in the mine. And it's insane. They have 6015s, 6018s. I'd never even seen, I didn't even know a 6018 existed, triple sevens, blasting operations. The scale of it was just phenomenal. And I got to go wherever I wanted to go and shoot this thing. And it was in April. 
So it wasn't peak summer, but it was still so hot. And you're in this, you're just in the middle of nowhere shooting equipment. And, and at that moment, it was just like, whoa, I started this maybe 15 months ago. And someone recognized my work and flew me halfway around the world and is paying me for it, which was such a cool moment to kind of suggest like, huh, this is cool. I'm getting somewhere and I, I think I'm onto something. It was, it was really unique validation. So I go all over the country. I fly into this, I fly to this enormous limestone mining operation where they have just countless D11s pushing old seabed into piles, loading it into trucks, 992s, just spectacular. Then we go, we fly to another city. And so you would, you'd fly in, you drive somewhere, you'd shoot, you drive back, you fly back, you get a few hours of sleep, you go back to the airport, you fly somewhere, you drive somewhere, you fly back, get a few hours of sleep. It was a gnarly schedule. The most travel I'd ever done in my life by a long shot. So this is at the end of the trip, we get to the airport. Most of the airports I'd been to were pretty, we were flying out of the new airport, which was the most beautiful airport I'd ever been in. It was gorgeous. And you fly into this little town and it is the complete opposite. There's fucking people everywhere. It's loud. It's, 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 it's like, it's small, totally different world, totally different world, total culture shock. And I'm sitting around and he's trying to get a car and he's all animated about it with, with the guy. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, I, I like how this week's gone. They probably don't have like, they probably don't have any fucking cars. And we just flew out here for no reason. And so he's, he's over there for a while. And I'm, I pull out my phone. I'm making an Instagram story about it. And these two cops come over. And they're basically the cops there, at least in the airport, they, military uniforms. You know, and they're essentially military. But they don't speak English. And they take my phone. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, my stomach drops because my host is over there arguing with some guy at the rental car counter, <laughs> like just far enough away where he can't see what's going on. They think I'm, it's, it's not legal to take pictures in an airport, which I found out after the fact. And I was just making some dumbass joke on Instagram about the situation. And I get in trouble with the Saudi police. And there is not an American to be found. Like there's not an English speaking person to be found. And I am just fucked at this point. And so I try to explain in English what I was doing and, and showing them. And they, 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 they're, they're talking amongst themselves real frantically. They're looking at my phone. They're like going through my shit. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going to happen at this point. And they, 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 I showed them the video I was taking. They deleted they start walking off with my phone and then they turn back around and hand it to me. And then they say something in Arabic that's like, don't fucking do that again, probably mm -hmm. is what I'd translate it to. And I'm just sitting there. Oh, thank God. And the guy comes over finally with the car. He's like, everything good? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no problems here. And we proceed to then drive way out into the desert again. We, met, we went back to Jeddah. They had me on this like little boat. We swam around for a while in the Red Sea, which was very cool. I get back on a plane, send it home. And that was Saudi Arabia, my very first time as just this kid not knowing what the hell is going on. 
With all the exciting things happening at BuildWit, it might have looked like things were great. And though they were, to some extent, there were also some major problems behind the scenes. Here's Aaron. Yeah, so I think it was that second year where the the financial realities of running a business started to come into play. Our first project with Midwest Mole was that summer. It was the first time where I'd truly exhausted every option run the company out of money. I thought American Express, when you start a company, there's just, especially in your 20s, you're just so fucking naive. I'm still naive. You just don't know how any of this stuff works. So I thought I could put stuff on my American Express. And if I didn't have the ability to pay, make my payment for that month, I could just stop my payments. And it just, then I pay interest on whatever I have with American Express. That's not how an American Express works, I found out. You have to pay it off every month. So it's kind of a credit card. You get to kick your payments 30, 45 days down the road, but you still have to pay it. Like you can't just keep accruing a balance or that's how, that's not, that's not how mine worked at the time. Cause I wasn't, I was a small business with nothing to my, nothing to my name. So I had come up with, oh, it was like $50,000 on the company card. And I go to, I go to collect my rental car and it's midnight on a Sunday in the Indianapolis airport. I go to collect my rental car and the, the lady says, you sorry, your card's not working. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay. Um, try it, try it again. You know, it, it happens all the time. She tries again. Nah, it's still not working. So I'm like, hmm. I call the number on the back of my American Express card. I say, hey, this, I'm at the, trying to pick up my rental car. It's not working. Oh, let me see here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you stopped the payments on your card, apparently, and you owe um, $50,000. So she said, I could, I can happily turn it on right now if you make, you know, a $30,000 payment. And I'm just like, I mean, I had maybe five grand in the checking account at the time. I'm like, <laughs> I can't do that. Like, it's, it's, so there's nothing, there's nothing you can do for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't do anything about it. So I, I just, I just hang up and I, I'm just so defeated at this point in the airport. I don't know what the fuck to do. And then I remember I have a second personal credit card in my duffel bag that I'd always travel with. So I pulled that out. I got the car. I remember sitting in the car just like, what the fuck have I done? How the hell am I going to get out of this? Next day, call up Dylan Stevens. Dylan is the CEO of Rosso Constructors out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Murfreesboro. And he basically says, I'll pay for the rest of the year up front if you give me a slight discount. So... <laughs> He writes me the biggest check we'd ever been written at the time to pay off the credit card and a little bit more to get out of the out of the hole in exchange for a slight discount for services. But that's that's how it went. So that's how it was going. That second year was trying to figure out how to build a business, running into some trouble here or there. But by the end of it, we had had we had a few people working for us. We had a small team. We had established our mission, which was to make the dirt world a better place. We had started to establish our values. We had built out uh, like a new website. We started to figure out who the hell we were and what we were there to do. After all of that, the most important part of the early days of BuildWit was not the exciting clients that ended up firing us. It wasn't the cool trips to other parts of the world. It wasn't the exciting social media growth and attention. It was the birth of the mission that continues to drive our business and the community that we're building today. That mission? Make the dirt world a better place. And in pursuit of that mission, social media has played a huge part. Sure, there have been the viral posts on LinkedIn from Aaron, Dan, and others. There are the gorgeous photos that Aaron and the other amazing artists have shared online. 
But there's always been something special about how folks in the industry engage with BuildWit. There's an authentic connection to the industry and the people building the world around us. Here's Aaron. We're in totally uncharted waters. Um, we, we don't know what we're doing. We've made more mistakes than I can count as a business. We're going to continue to make mistakes. We're going to, we're going to continue to, to, to do dumb things, but that's what has to happen. We have to just go out and start doing something. Mm -hmm. I give a shit about making sure this industry is good to go long-term. Mm -hmm. And our whole business is geared in that direction. Every decision we've made from the beginning has been geared in that direction. Here's Eric Jumper, who was an operator for 10 years before coming to BuildWit and is now chairman of the Don't Screw It Up committee over here. When I'm driving through traffic, I like to look at all the other cars and, you know, see what see what people are up to. And it kind of got me thinking of like, man, all these people are heading to likely a relatively boring job. Uh, they don't have a lot going on. And it, it's probably not going to be a very fun day for them. And it kind of got me thinking of like, I'm really happy that I'm part of an industry where I feel like it's it's a it's a big enough it's a big enough industry that there's a whole lot going on, but it's a small enough community that I really feel like I can relate to just about anybody in the, in the industry. I feel like most of the people in the dirt world are some of the most genuine human beings you're going to encounter. Mm -hmm. And any job that you're going to have in this field is, is so unique in comparison to any other career. And it's because of those folks in the dirt world that will keep messing up, keep failing in ways small and large. And just like those folks, we'll keep getting up off the mat and get back to it. There's a reason why the, the timing is now. Mm -hmm. I believe the timing is now. I think we can go out and create significant change. I love this industry. I want it to be uh, thriving for decades to come. Yeah. I see a path to that. I know the industry can't do it on its own. I know we sure as hell can't do it on our own. We all need to come together. And so, we'll continue to tell our story, just as we want to continue to hear and share the stories of the dirt world. This is episode four of Building BuildWit, but it's not the final episode. In late 2019, where this phase of the BuildWit story ends, our company had five employees. As I'm recording this in late 2022, we've got around 80 full-time employees. So we'll be back, because there's a lot more dirt to share. Thanks to Aaron, Dan, Angel, Chell, and all the other folks who contributed to this story. Special thanks to Harrison Smith and the entire team at BuildWit. And from me, Alex Horton, I want to say thank you to the dirt world and the incredible people that make it what it is. A world that in some ways is still new to me, but one that has captured both my attention and my imagination. Y'all inspire me in ways that I couldn't have dreamt of as a younger man, so thank you. I promise to keep busting my ass to help tell your stories because the folks who don't know the dirt world are missing out. Hey.